1: Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to The Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. The Event Horizon features writers, lecturers, artists, filmmakers, and other talented creators of the fabric of this marvelous continuum we call science fiction. I am your host, Gene Turnbow, founder and station manager for Krypton Radio, and with me is Susan Fox, the station's executive producer. This week we are proud to present the cast and crew of, uh, of a new uh, steampunk web series called Tinker. Our guests are Katerina Lee Waters, the creator and the showrunner Michael Tagliani, effects coordinator David R. Hardberger, and the show's musical supervisor, Lucid Luminos. And he's also their, uh, their PR manager. Welcome, everyone, to the Event Horizon. What I'd like you to do first is, uh, if you could please, uh, let's go around the virtual room, so to speak, and have you introduce yourselves, starting with you, David.
2: Hi, I'm David Hardberger. I'm the director of photography, and we'll be hand- dealing with some of the visual effects on the movie, on the uh, web series.
3: I'm Michael Tagmanetti, I'm the show creator.
1: Ah. Oh, wonderful. Excellent. And Kat, how about you? you have kind of noteworthy in your own right.
4: Well, thank you for saying that. I am a, Well, I'm a professional wrestler, and I'm also an actress, and, um, and I get to play two parts on this, so I'm very excited
1: yeah, it sounds like you've got a lot of followers on Twitter. We'll talk to you about that in a few minutes.
4: Okay.
1: <laughs> and and then Lucid, you are that you're running public relations for this whole show.
2: Yes, as well as managing all the social media sites and the Kickstarter itself.
1: That's oh, a lot of work. What it I can I can say from experience, I don't envy you your job because I have your job. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about the project. Uh, let's see, David Someone... and and. Mark. <laughs> Let's start with you, Michael. Tell us about Tinker. Walking into the room, what's the first thing we need to know about it?
3: Well, it's steampunk, of course, but it's a brand of steampunk that would best be described as alternate history. So we've taken liberties with certain things in history, we've embraced certain areas of technology, and we've accelerated the development of certain things. For example, Commercial airship travel kind of appears 15 years earlier than it actually did. Um, the uh, suffragette movement and women's equality happens a little earlier. It's not as uh, stiff as authentic Victorian era material would have been. Uh, you know, those are those are the trappings of it, but those are some of the things that I've used in developing the story.
0: What's what year does this take place?
3: It takes place in 1899 mm-hmm. in British-controlled Hong Kong, in San Francisco, and
1: in London.
0: Oh gosh, five no, seven years before this—the big San Francisco quake. So for a future episode, that might be something.
1: Oh yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting. Everybody watch
0: evacuates the airships and watches it happen.
1: <laughs> so that's it's possible. It's it's uh, it's an interesting choice. A lot of steampunk really wants to center itself on London, but you haven't done that. You've set it in the same age, in the same era, and uh, using the same sort of approach to the future of the past. But you're going to an exotic location,
0: and it's it's uh, you know, just sociologically, it's very interesting to have um, Britain and Hong Kong in an era where British. In our timeline, the British took over Hong Kong but for a 100-year for mm. rental. Does this happen in your timeline? I don't know.
3: Well, yeah, it's already assumed that uh, Britain's already done that. That's why I said British-controlled Hong Kong. Okay. Why uh, there's so many British people there. We actually are hardly in London at all. Okay. One of the characters from London dies, but he dies on an airship on his way to rendezvous in San Francisco.
0: Well, that's certainly a... A nexus of, of Asian population, which really makes it ideal for the kind of casting you have.
3: Um, I'm not Asian, but this is a very pro-Asian piece. I
0: would noticed that. And the sociology works, if you know what I mean.
3: Well, my Asian cast members appreciate it. Yeah, I bet they do.
1: <laughs>
2: hmm. Yeah, Hong Kong and San Francisco go together hand-in-hand. Hand hand.
1: Still do. Yeah, pretty much still do. It's there's, uh, and there's Russians, too. There, there are social underpinnings that go all the way back, you know, 200 years, 300 years.
0: Well, and they're still going on. Yeah. <laughs> yes, let's talk about the yeah, story. let's talk
1: about the story, and let's talk about... Uh,
0: uh, now, who are the Tinkers?
1: Well, the Tinkers, the
3: of course, the title characters, are a father-daughter duo of very well-known inventors. They have a little shop in San Francisco in a building that they own where they have had clients who are rich and famous and clients that are even royalty. People travel from around the world to get their gadgety inventions, and they've carved out quite a niche for themselves, but um, in fact, it's not but, but in fact, it's their reputation that brings them to the attention of the wealthy and eccentric Lady Cushing, her, she herself is not an inventor, but her father was an inventor and developed the device for which she hires the tinkers and for which she, they go on their adventure, which is the story arc of this uh, first planned season that we have.
1: You've got a lot of characters in your, on the Kickstarter page, uh, and the visual design for them is just uh, it's, it's really something special. I mean, the production values that you're demonstrating in your project are far and away above... It's
0: pretty much everything, every movie we've watched in the past 20 years.
3: (laughs) Well, um, it's not an accident that David Hardberger is the DP, because he was a visual effects cameraman on Blade Runner. And Blade Runner's one of my favorite movies. It's certainly, in my personal history the movie i've watched the most even more than star wars and any other um you know very well known film that would have occurred during my youth I, i've seen blade runner a hundred more times than any other film i've ever seen wow and you know and uh my my younger brother paul was a, a visual effects producer in hollywood he did a number of films most notably the matrix and uh He worked with David several times and that's how I was able to come to David's attention
2: Mm -hmm.
3: and and I jumped at that because of his experience with a a movie that I find very inspiring. Not to mention all the other movies he's done which he can talk about when it's his turn.
1: So David, how did you become associated with the project and what was it that you find uh, appealing about it? Well, like Michael said, it
2: was (coughs) the the uh, Part with his brother, you know, I got turned turned on to the project because of what Paul said. And the thing is, I like steampunk. Um back backing up a bit. I started reading heavy metal comic book when it first came out, and there was a nineteen
1: seventy five.
2: Yes. We bought it. I've got the first issue. I have the first ten years. Oh awesome. Which makes me totally geeky, but that's neither here nor there.
0: But that's a compliment in our our audience. About so, being geeky,
2: I guess. Um,
0: geek and proud. We <laughs> like what we like.
2: But the thing is, I was liking this style of art. I was liking this, the how did you phrase it, Michael? The altered, the altered history, the alternate history, alternate history, long before I knew it was steampunk. So well, I they had up-
0: airships in Blade Runner, didn't they? they had advertising they did, on them, but they had
2: they, them they had small ones that traveled around um traveled around Los Angeles I wish
1: and, we and, had those and flew at window height and peered in everyone's yes. windows yeah. window height great.
2: with heads plenty going on the sides of the blimps and yelling at uh, the getting off topic they were originally supposed to be a lot uh bigger but then they made them smaller and they just didn't have enough time or money to have more of them in the picture ah. but anyway uh, Back to Tinker, I you know, and I met with Michael, looked at the artwork, loved the concept, and here I am.
0: So, so it proves that you really can get the big names in and and the great talents if you just ask them. <laughs> don't yes. be afraid.
1: Don't <laughs> A lot of the uh, images that we see on the website they are in uh, they are in black and white, or they seem to be. Is this is the show uh, going to be predominantly?
0: black and white or sepia-toned?
1: No, not at
3: all. Oh. Um, I, I'm a little confused. I don't recall any images on our website being in black and white. I'm
0: looking the ones at one on the, that says now when you we're so looking at a collage, at a collage when made. you say web series. And, um, I just
4: did it in black and white so it's more of a consistency for the full display there. So it wasn't like too chaotic with colors all over.
1: Oh, I see. If, yeah, there's yeah, a color. You, oh, if you can't make the color palette match, get rid of it. <laughs> <Right. We're so laughs> that works. Are you using any of the prior shows that you've worked on as sort of a, um, I don't know a model for the the visual look that you're trying to achieve with this show, or are um, you going for something completely new?
3: I'm certainly not. Um, uh, David.
1: No,
2: no I'm. I'm really following Michael's lean on this. I mean, just sitting down looking at the concept art and basing the look on that. Um, trying not... To, I mean, you you still have that library of stuff that you've worked on that you can tap into, but I think this needs... Uh, this is looking at a different look
3: uh, coming out of the gate.
0: This is, this is complete world-building from the ground up. It has to be.
3: Well put. That's exactly how I feel about it.
0: Okay. I get it. <laughs> But you've got real cities to base it on, so it's a start, you know?
3: Yeah, one of the things that we're in the middle of doing right now is um, since this takes place before the Golden Gate Bridge existed, we're just going to make our own steampunk version of a bridge that might have preceded it, which is actually going to be based on London Bridge. Cool. But it'll be in the same place. So people can, you know, when they see, like in our movie poster, It'll be there in the background, so people, you know, just get that San Francisco feel. They can associate it with San Francisco.
0: But, right, um, they, but at the same born, time, not the San Francisco they remember going to last week. Right. The plot. right and I was born um, near San Francisco, so I have a mm-hmm. lot of people that I know in the area, and I know the steampunk groups and historical groups there that have a wealth of knowledge that they're going to be um, advising us on on how San Francisco looked back then. Oh,
1: Good. that's got to be fascinating. I mean, because there was there was uh, so much going on, uh, and there's parts of San Francisco nobody's seen in a hundred years. Well,
0: then right.
1: you know the the underground parts of the city are actually underground. Mm-hmm. Don't mean Bart, <laughs> right? There's actually
2: surprisingly a lot of photos that have been recovered.
1: Treequake,
3: yeah. We, we also, um, you know, little point of trivial interest, uh, we've incorporated um, other elements, uh, historical people, technology, things like that from the past, and incorporated it into conversations as sort of little, you know, name drops, the kind of things uh, trivia buffs would go for. For example, there is a conversation, and this in, in no way spoils the story or anything, but there's a conversation in the pilot in which they're expecting a delivery from Ferdinand Porsche of a um, gasoline-electric hybrid vehicle, or at least the parts for it.
0: Nah, that'll never fly.
3: And (laughs) and, so, in reality, uh, Ferdinand Porsche invented the gasoline-electric hybrid vehicle in 1897, and I have pictures of it.
0: Damn! That is amazing. We need to to see it. Oh,
3: yeah. So we refer to it. We do the same thing with... um, Heinrich Hertz and, and uh, Nikola Tesla in fact Tesla in a way is kind of the, the, the invention they're trying to finish that was started by Lady Cushing's father they're trying to bring it to an exposition in Paris to give it to Nikola Tesla who they've never met and who they don't actually meet at, at least not in the first season but that's like their, that's their end game at least from their point of view at the beginning Hey, everyone loves Tesla.
0: Yeah, we are does. we are Tesla fans.
3: Can we right? get David Bowie to repeat the role for us?
0: Yeah, no, you don't know <laughs> till you ask him.
1: Good point. Yeah, yeah, he might. You know, you just it
0: might just you know appeal to him. So and he's got experience. So he's one got of the one for of
1: him. the other people online with us is Katarina Lee Waters, and uh, we would like to hear from you, Cat. Tell us about your character and how you became involved with project.
0: And tell us about Smallville,
4: because we heard about that. Smallville? Well, my obsession with Smallville? Yeah. <laughs> it's more of a Lex Luthor obsession. Please, Russell. Uh, but specifically Lex Luthor from Smallville. Okay. But anyways, um, Tinker. So, yes. I actually have been involved um, for a while. I submitted myself for a role, because I also... I don't really know anything about steampunk or I don't really know that much about it now but I had heard about it and seen things and really liked that style and that concept and then uh, I met Michael and read the scripts and was very lucky that he cast me um, and I just I just love the project I love the writing actually as much as I love the visual concept of it um, I'm getting to play two characters which is also awesome so I get to play the the bar bouncer tough girl, which is sort of you know, people would expect, and then I also played the crazy German inventor's wife which is then a bit of a well, maybe not a 180, maybe a 165 <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> so, but I get to play two very different characters and so I'm, I'm just very excited to be part of this.
0: What a great opportunity for any acting person.
3: I would yeah. just add that Kat, uh to add a little action in the pilot, she is actually responsible for the barroom brawl that happened <laughs> the pilot. It's
0: also,
1: she initiates it.
0: Yes. Oh, oh, that's great. Bouncer's not supposed to start <laughs> it. Bouncer's supposed to oh. end it. Well, I'm provoked.
4: Uh, well, you know, that's defense, what makes a story. In my defense, I'm provoked.
1: <laughs> to our science fiction audience, uh, you may not know this, but Katarina Lee Waters is... Uh, a character in um,
0: WWE. She was in actually a number of the different leagues. I was, yeah, with names mostly involving Cat. You know, Katie Lee. Uh, I forget the others. Well,
4: I was uh, I was Katie Lee Burchell in WWE, um, and actually I was on the Sci-Fi Channel with them, so maybe that's the tie-in. Oh, there we go. Um, that's something we yes. will see. Go, oh, um, her! She's awesome.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah,
4: I know uh, butter. And then I was in TNA as a character window. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was more of a like a uh, well, actually in both I was sort of a dark, mysterious kind of character. So I yeah, window.
1: So the character, the uh, the frustrated wife of the inventor, determined mm-hmm. to out tinker the tinkers. Uh, so there's a. Uh, you're part of one of the ongoing uh, the secondary story arts. Yeah. The antagonist. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's got to See, that's the fun part.
1: Anybody yeah, we, can play I, the hero. And yeah, you, get, you get to play a, a more complicated role.
4: <laughs> I do, indeed. But I don't want to say too much about it, so I don't give away the story, but it's going to be. <laughs> I suppose. Pretty, pretty, pretty exciting.
0: See, we like twisty. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to drag out as much about the story as possible because that's what we don't get out of this uh, Kickstarter page, and that's as yeah. it ought to be, I suppose.
4: And, and the writing, because did I mention already that I really enjoy the writing? Okay. So, and I think people will like it too. so no, it's not just a great look and a great concept and good action. It's also actually like the dialogue is. It pulls you in. I think. Well, I'm a big fan. Well, and from an
1: outsider's perspective, what I see is a show that has a really well-developed, very consciously put together look and feel to it. Uh, and you 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 look at this, and you you get the sense that if you move the camera five degrees to the left, further than it's supposed to go, that there's going to be something there. I mean, it, it feels like it's got background and depth to it that a lot of steampunk uh, steampunk productions don't actually manage.
0: A lot of these world-building things, you, you don't necessarily believe in them because they're all shiny new. This, mm-hmm. it's, it's a used, it's, it's a, used, a used Yeah, it's world. a
1: used fast future. Which is this yeah. what, what it's supposed to be. I
2: mean, it's, it's a living, breathing environment with people living in it. And what you commented about moving the camera in five degrees in either direction, but I think that's also a good, that's a good indicator of good production design where you
1: audience believes that it exists outside of what you're watching. And that's why, that's why production design is, is so important yes. because it it, gives <laughs> the, it sets it, the context for the entire show, makes I, people. I Couldn't agree with you more.
3: Uh, and i say that because i'm the production designer and i'm, yes. <laughs> I'm far more proud of my production design work than the directing a monkey could direct and and could have directed uh, yes. I, I worked on some of those shows
2: <laughs> <laughs> what shows
3: where the monkey was directing
1: no i mean yes but okay, okay. i worked on the shows uh, some shows where the actors were the monkeys
0: well they then they could. they could I don't speak know if you to the current director
1: the director, you the the, the, the uh the limited run show from i think nineteen eighty seven uh-huh. Mister Smith goes to Washington where mr S- Smith was an orangutan yeah, I worked he, on that i bet i bet <laughs> yeah,
0: but you know what I bet he right he, he behaved better than a lot of the you know. Homo He was—he was, was
1: actually better behaved than some of the grips. So because
0: a monkey can be trained.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to get letters on that one. Yeah, you know what? No we we'll got letters that
0: proves they're listening. <laughs> Woot! Yay! Yay! Mean letters. So you've so, got production design. Where else have we seen your production design?
3: Um, I come from a commercial background, so you would have seen my stuff in television commercials. I got. My start in the 80s, I worked for a wonderful little uh, animation studio in Boston called Olive Jar Animation. Oh, and that sounds neat did, just from
1: the start of it.
3: We did huh. um, all the 10-second uh, clay animated station IDs for MTV back when they played music videos.
0: I love those.
3: And, um, and So that was you.
0: My brother wanted oh, to that's make this awesome. so bad.
3: There was a lot of people of which I was one. Uh
0: huh. I
3: know. Mm-hmm. But that's how, you know, I got my start. And, you know, and then from there it was more commercials and, and more commercials. And by the time I left Boston and came to California, I did not want to go into the studio system. I don't take orders well. So I created my own studio, which I, I've had for 15 years. And we've done a lot of video game stuff, a lot of computer graphics, a lot of commercial stuff, um, you know, a lot of baked mm-hmm. for other people's projects and now it's just time to uh, start developing our own material and uh, you know this has been in many ways a labor of love, it's been you know long in the making, it feels like we've been in pre-production forever but it's all necessary in, in order to get it right. I probably rewrote the pilot twelve times but I couldn't be happier with it and I uh, cannot uh, wait until you know we start shooting in October which could be accelerated if people would get on Kickstarter and make contributions.
1: Here, here. Well, we've already we've already both we've, become
3: backers.
0: We've so. we've become backers, so can you, people?
1: It's and this is one of the best steampunk projects going out there right now. You know, uh, they're
0: not mil- a lot of they're not millionaires trying to get a free handout instead of like getting mm. a loan. This is like some. <clears throat> big stars I can say right now. Did I tell you about this? Mm-hmm. Spike yeah. Lee is putting up a kick, you know, million dollar Kickstarter for his next production. Yeah,
2: I heard Spike
0: him. Lee owns a freaking mansion. He can get a Okay.
2: <laughs> I think they also use it for publicity. It I know, attention. but it,
0: I, w- I thought it was reprehensible. No. When we could be giving our money to people who really need a start.
3: Speaking of reprehensible, I thought it was reprehensible that the all-time money winner in the world of Kickstarter was... Um, that piece of crap show that got canceled, and it had the best Kickstarter ever. What the hell was that called? Oh, no, I think it's it's Veronica, Veronica
2: Mars.
1: Which one was it? Veronica Mars. Oh, Veronica oh Mars, that's... the all time. Oh, yeah, I remember yes. that they they uh, they wanted they, to do uh, what was it? They wanted to do a movie based a movie on version.
3: it. They're, they are gonna do a movie. They They're their Kickstarter earned more than any Kickstarter in the brief history of Kickstarter, and. So they get to
0: keep the money, and they're not making a production. Lovely.
3: No, no I think they're banking the movie. They're just she having is, right. way more money than they asked for, so they're pocketing a lot of money. No yeah. doubt.
1: Oh yeah, I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, uh, the that's revolting. Yeah. The, if <laughs> you, if you if you <laughs> get uh, if if the gods are in your favor and you get say uh, triple or quadruple what you're hoping for. What would you do with it?
3: Absolutely put it all up on the screen. It's right now, our Kickstarter is about making the pilot. If we made more money, we'd start making the additional episodes. Mm -hmm. Also means an increase in production value. Uh, Maybe we don't shoot on the stage that we're, we're, we have our own stage, so we're prepared to shoot on it. But it's not a very big stage, maybe we move to a bigger stage. Maybe where we can build multiple sets so we can be more efficient. So you're Maybe. going to be using green
1: screen uh, and virtual sets for a lot of this.
0: Also, the the, yes. kicks, the Kickstarter video also shows some very, very remarkable uh, fight. That's the word I'm looking
2: for. Automatons? An- animatics? Anim-
0: not, not animatics, but CGI of the automatons fighting.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah, like, and that's I just... I want to play! Stage. That's just <laughs> early stages. We haven't even finished that. That's work in progress. You should yeah. see what it looks like now. I mean, it's... It's um, indescribable. Therefore, I can't describe it. So. All
0: right. Well, you know, you're the writer. If you
1: can't describe, well, it. you know, you could hold it up. To, you could hold the images up to the microphone, but I don't think they'd work very well on radio.
0: Ooh, yay, radio, huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's okay. We've got a costuming show on radio, and that, oddly, it works because <laughs> it's more now, too.
1: But yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah, it's people. It people will. Flock to what you're doing if what you're doing uh, uh, makes internal sense, and we think what you're doing does make internal sense, and, and it's it's obvious that that every last detail of what this is, what uh, the tinker's is going to be about, has been thought out in exquisite detail. So I have no doubt that if you got. More money than you were planning on, that you didn't know immediately what to do with it.
0: You would see it all, every cent up on the screen and that snuffed up somebody's nose. Not that I have <laughs> issues.
1: That's,
3: you're <laughs> exactly correct. It won't <laughs> be used appropriately. I mean, I'm putting my money where my mouth is right now. Okay. Myself and the other owners of our production company are not drawing salaries. We do not even get reimbursed for our cell phone usage. Uh, a monthly annuity I have goes into this production. We're constantly buying things for this production. Wow. In fact, um, Arthur, uh, one of the producers, uh, who is going to sit in for me, um, I, I just got back from with the costume designers getting uh, fabric for some of the custom costumes they are hand
1: making. Mm-hmm. This isn't like a
0: well, you can't even you can't store. go to Basie's and buy this stuff. <laughs>
1: Right. You kind of can't of... even go to Lincoln Fabrics and buy this stuff anymore. Yeah. God, what happened? They were there for like 50 years, and all of a sudden, Oof. No more Lincoln Fabrics. Well,
3: the, you know, yeah, like you said, you, you can't just go buy this stuff, and and we're paying attention to every aspect of of this, and and anytime we get money, we're, you know, pumping it in right back into this to make it the the best possible show that it can be and uh, we hope that it has a look of for every penny we spend it looks like we spent a dollar.
1: And from what I can see you're accomplishing that. I'm looking at a design for the Hershaft Automaton. Mm. Uh, it's it's uh, if you go to the Kickstarter page that's uh Kickstarter.com slash project slash containment field uh, slash Tinker Steampunk Web Series Pilot with all those words. Yes,
0: hyphenated. we will print it on our web page. We'll right?
1: have it printed on the web page anyway. But uh, about uh, a third of the way down, there's a, a design drawing for the shaft Automaton, and it's uh, it is this. This is done the way you would do it for a CG modeler with the breakouts on the arms so that you can see the torsos. Uh, torso details behind where the arms are, and front and back views, and it's it's pretty awesome. I mean, this is I I could take this to Maya and build a model straight off this image, but and this that's is, exactly what we did.
3: Yeah. That
1: was uh, I did a
3: pencil sketch, I handed it off to one of our uh, in-house illustrators, uh, Brendan Gillis, who did a good job with it, and then and then it went to our we have our own internal 3D department, and then two different. 3D artists, and I don't want to miscredit them because I don't remember which two, but they then turned it into the fully CG uh, robot we have. And, of course, there's two. There's, uh-huh. there's a Tinker's uh, robot, which is called the uh, Tinker Automaton, and then there's the uh, evil Herzhaft husband and wife's robot, and that's called the Herzhaft Giant Robot. So if it says Herzhaft Automaton on the website, it is slightly mislabeled, and we will fix that. But okay. it's,
1: It says Herzhaft Automaton, the big brass one.
3: It should be hers Have giant robot, you yes. know, versus Tinker Automaton. Oh, when
0: okay. was RUR published? Because that's the first appearance of the word 1934, robot. 1934, I thought. Ooh, then the word robot's got to go.
3: Yeah, but it's the... It's Unless the, they invented they, they earlier,
0: didn't. but... It's the
3: A- Asian culture association with the overall term giant robot.
0: Yeah, and I know. Robot. And the word in Japanese is probably robot though, but...
3: dome though. Yeah. Um, and Mr. Roboto. And Mr. Roboto. There's just, you know, oh, there's some little areas where we're, you know... Uh,
0: okay, so it was in, that was another thing that was invented earlier. Okay, fine. Just so there's an answer <laughs> when somebody besides me asks.
2: Yeah. Michael, isn't there a big fascination around the turn of the last century with automatons?
3: Yeah, this sounds like a lead-in question, but no, i been really... Uh, yeah, there was, but the thing is, though, so there's no microchips or anything like that. So these things wouldn't act like a true automaton. They're 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 remote control. They're robotic. They're mm-hmm. not androids. I didn't want to go there. I didn't. I, I felt as though if these people had androids, then they would have microchips, and then they would have our culture, and then mm-hmm. Then so that would be bad, boring or
1: something beyond what we have, right? Uh, and, 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 and that makes I, it science fiction and not not strictly steampunk, but uh, no, I, under, I understand that. Uh, they, th- there has been a fascination with automatons going back four or five hundred years. Uh, Louis Louis Couture's, uh I think he so had, had...
0: all the wind-up
1: He and Yeah, he was one, the things. one that had the wind-up yeah. duck that walked, ate and quacked and pooped. <laughs> and I'm not I kidding really about did. the excrement.
2: I think I recall that one.
1: And uh, uh, we've, seen, uh, we've seen videos of wind-up animated caterpillars. And uh, I think last year we ran an article on a, a couple of, of uh, articulated dueling pistols that...
0: Mm. What, did they get it? Jump out they, and duel for you? Punch, 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 punch.
1: Well, no, <laughs> but what they did... Yeah, they, they didn't actually fire a shot, what they did is, you pulled the trigger, and a little bird came out of the end of it, and tweeted and flapped and sang, and it was fully. I kill
0: you with love and beauty.
1: It, yeah, it was basically it was basically a toy, a very very expensive toy, and it was jewel encrusted and the whole. It was an amazing thing, <laughs> and it sold for some ungodly amount of money. Uh,
0: enough, more than enough money to, you know, engineer this. i our
1: pilot. I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) I wonder if it still exists.
1: Might. Oh, oh, the the tweeting guns? Yeah, I'm sure they do. They're in the hands of a collector. But the point being that. uh, We've wandered. We've wandered. It's our it's our fault. So, let's see. This is going to be the pilot, and it's going to be a 14 episode first season. Yeah, was there uh, was there a reason you went with fourteen, or is it if just, just, just because how many it happens to it... fit happens to fit the calendar season, as in the the uh, television tradition?
3: No, actually, I was trying to do everything I could could to buck the television tradition. For example, the individual episodes are all different lengths because it's on the web, and you I have
2: yeah.
3: to the attention to running times because you don't have to tune in, it's not being broadcast out, you know, essentially uh-huh. the computer, you're visiting a folder on a server somewhere, so you can go when you want, so it doesn't matter how long it is, so the episodes are going to be in length, they're going to correspond to the story, they're going to be enough time to tell that story so one episode might be Fifteen minutes, another episode might be twenty minutes. It, I love it, that!
0: What a wonderful gift to a writer—you no padding, no excessive cutting. You write, you tell your story, and when it's done, it's done.
3: Right now, in terms of the number of episodes, that was the amount I needed to tell the first big sweeping arc of the of the adventures of these people. It just happened to be, you know, fourteen. Um, it, I could have made it more. Uh, you know, but I'm gonna, you know, do a second season, provided that this one
1: happens. Uh huh. How, how do you plan to monetize this? How do you? How is it going to sustain itself?
3: Same way all television is monetized, and that's with advertising. And advertising will come if there's enough hits on the pilot. There's a number of ways to do it. Already, you know, places like Yahoo and and all of that, they monetize their stuff. I mean, if you, if you're, for example, you launch a browser and say your default is Yahoo, you know, all that new stuff, when you click on it and go to Yahoo's OMG or whatever, before you can see any video, it starts with essentially a commercial you can't skip. Yeah. It's the same thing, you know, as television, not to mention that we can also sell ancillary products. We can treat it like viewer-supported television and keep, um, you know, doing uh, crowdfunding campaigns. We can even, you know, have tip jar on our front page. Uh, There's a number of ways to approach this and we'll probably approach some combination of all of them, but I I don't believe this is difficult to monetize from a a standpoint of principles. It's difficult just in terms to make sure you get all the eyeballs on it. Enough people watch it, enough people will cough up, including future sponsors and advertisers
0: I want the rock'em sock'em automatons
3: <laughs> here in the office Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at them right now and they were See? no way used don't in you? the inspiration of this show
0: action figures
3: <laughs> there you go hey Miss
0: Kate you want to be an action figure
1: oh she has action Me? figures yeah.
4: all over I, I have two but uh, I would like to have steampunk ones as well that's it. She's
1: got two action figures, figures already she figures That figures
4: Because yeah. <laughs> they know to monetize You can never but... have too many hats, shoes,
0: and action figures
1: <laughs> That's I science love cut. that
0: <laughs> You've seen the top of my computer, Hutch, then <laughs> She's sad looking at all the Supergirl and things And yeah, the Doctor Who, Teddy <laughs> Bear oh, So oh, you, nice. you've,
1: got several, you've got several images That show uh, the use of uh, green screen uh, in, you know, your, your... Well, let me start that over. Okay. You've got several images on the Kickstarter campaign page that show actors in front of green screen. How much work have you done so far with the green screen stage, and how do you how do you approach working in an environment like that?
3: Well, we, uh, we knew this was going to have a lot of uh, composited effects and that we were going to use uh... green screen a lot we have our own green screen stage so what we've done is we've conducted a number of tests sometimes it's from the point of view of testing a camera David and I have discussed several different cameras that uh, you know we, we want to look at and we've we've tested a few of them already um... some of them are from the point of view of hey how much fog can we put in here before the uh, you know knocking the green screen out doesn't work anymore mm-hmm. We've done, you know, even color tests, like we built some, like, half sets and shot them to see, you know, what they would look like, and it's, a, a lot of it has been testing or associated with the development of our trailer,
0: Hmm.
3: but, uh, you know, of course, we haven't actually shot an episode yet. That's what's all been in development, um, because there's been so much, uh, uh-huh. Digital work. We've been building digital airships for months and months and months. We've been uh, building Lady Cushing's petrol coach, which is uh, an unusual kind of gas-electric hybrid that she presumably bought the engine from Ferdinand Porsche. Uh, you know, little uh, things like that. But each one of these items being developed digitally, and it's and and it's you can take it apart and everything works, and it's. Photorealistic, so all of that takes a lot of time, mm-hmm. and you know, it's going to wind up as being part of a green screen scene.
0: How is that even a question anymore? They've been using green screen and blue screen before that uh, for decades. Um, well,
1: but Star Star, the Star more... Trek
0: the 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 Next Generation was a big, you know. Mm-hmm. Proponent, early, early adopter of that, and it was, as I understand it, it was Brent Spiner who coached the other actors because he had a pantomime background, and he had he had a, you know a mime background enough to be able to envision things that weren't there, and he taught that to the other actors, much, much to everybody's benefit.
3: Wow, that explains a lot. It kind of I mean, does. it's him.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I now see that.
1: Wow. I'm blanking here. But I'm green screen—that's—that's
0: that's hardly even an issue anymore. I, I, I don't
1: know. the The reason I brought it up is because uh, you can get you can get an awful lot accomplished with a green screen, and you can also get yourself into a whole lot of trouble very quickly.
2: <laughs> this is true. Yes.
0: What kind yes. of trouble?
1: Yeah. Have you? Uh, um, you have designed some of the sets. I take it already. Uh, so that you can construct these and, and use them with with the green screen facility how many people do you have working on that particular aspect of it and how long how far along are things well
3: right now I would say that we are about three quarters of the way to where we need to be um, with that said uh uh my uh business and creative partner slash co-owner of containment field paul smith who unfortunately can't be with us right now is heading up all of the visual effects and in his team he's got about 10 guys Mm -hmm. who work for us and uh there's a couple animators most of them are modelers and some of them are you know uh compositors and roto artists and some of them are here full-time and some of them are here part-time you know Mm -hmm. we're Again, playing, you know, with the hand we've been dealt, so to speak, and
1: yeah. that's
3: all we can do at the moment. But uh, you know, but it, it's the, the thing first that's
1: when ha- you when you, it's one thing to build it all and set it all up, and it's another thing to light it and match that to the live action that you've shot and try to make it all look good. And well, we,
3: I mean, <laughs> can certainly tell you, um, no, that
2: that is always a trick, and that's getting the two the two mediums to marry into each other so it becomes one one seamless piece
1: yeah it's the it's the whole hdri you know get it, get a light probe and then uh, that sounds uncomfortable. match the yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry
1: <laughs> you
0: All were right. so bad you went to the bad place <laughs> but i <I'm> back
1: <laughs> um, have you
3: asked us yet about uh, motion capture no, we haven't, and I... That
0: was the word I was trying to remember earlier with yeah. the automaton fighters. Yeah,
1: I thought the automaton fighters, I, th- I thought that looked like mocap that hadn't been cleaned up yet.
3: Exactly, and that's exactly what it is. Um, we uh, One of the things Containment Field does for other companies is motion capture services. We have a mm-hmm. quarter of a million dollars worth of motion capture gear, and when it comes to the part of our business of doing for others that's probably the biggest part. And naturally, with those resources, we've incorporated them into this project. So when you see the animated um, giant robots fighting each other, what you're actually seeing is the motion capture performance that is uh, completely orchestrated by one of our producers, Arthur Belikonov, Mm -hmm. who also coordinates all of our fights, and and then those... um, The fights are then uh in turn performed by the motion capture performers wearing the gear and in the case of the robots that was uh arthur and um and another uh one of our actresses named tempest wolf and uh we you know i can pass that on to arthur and let him talk more about it since he actually you know designed and choreographed that but uh that's you know that's mocap data that hasn't yet been cleaned up and it's just there for you know we're trying to give people teasers and show them hey look stuff is happening yeah and that's so important you have to you have to
1: demonstrate that you actually have the stuff it takes to convert that money into a show.
0: Everybody loves mocap.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, One um, word:
0: golem. Okay, that's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay.
3: <laughs> Our. Um, mocap cap stuff is cameraless, wireless, so we can right, run outside the parking lot and do it. It's not optical like what they used in um, in Lord of the Rings, where you've got that mm-hmm. uh, suit with the golf balls on it. It's and uh, so, so you pre- don't
1: need a, a huge building with with uh, uh, cameras all over the place and you know, little emitters to so that the cameras can track from three different angles, and you don't have to. You're not suffering from any of that.
3: No, we are not. We uh, use a, a system from a company called XSENS, uh, which is in um, Amsterdam, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in the Netherlands. And uh, uh, I hope Amsterdam's in the Netherlands, otherwise <laughs> I sound like an idiot. It
0: was the last time I checked. <laughs> the
3: Netherlands, they and, could, have, they uh, could have moved it since then.
0: could have you know, lifted it by airship.
3: <laughs> a A lot of companies have this system. Fox has it. Universal has it and and we have it and uh it was used in um uh, the the comedy ted it was the mm-hmm. highest gross mm-hmm. comedy last year mm-hmm. the, and the teddy bear was seth mcfarlane the director in a mocap and one of these same mocap suits you know wherever he needed to be and you know um arthur who you know coordinates that for us uh the performance portion of it paul uh, coordinates the technical portion of it, but you know he puts on that suit and he becomes giant fighting robot man, and uh, you know it's and it's great because we can go anywhere and as you stated earlier, not restricted by cameras. There are no cameras. The suit's wired, uh, so that but it's wireless because meaning there's no tethered wire. You're not mm-hmm. tethered to anything, and it's Bluetooth, so it all goes via Bluetooth to the you know computer that we have that has. Um, you know, the software on it and, and you know, everything else. So mm-hmm. we can go out the parking lot. As long as that computer, which is a very expensive laptop actually, is, you know, within 30 yards of that performer, we can go anywhere in real time. We don't have to, the lightning well, isn't a
1: factor. And it's got to be a damned expensive laptop because it needs horsepower to process all those incoming signals at once. <laughs> Because if you don't have that, what you get is is uh, translation lag.
3: The, the particular laptop that we have that houses all of this proprietary stuff uh, was $4,000 when we got it. Yeah. And, and the grand total cost of the equipment, because we have multiple suits, is uh, a, close to a quarter of a million dollars.
1: Yeah, I believe that. Do you, do you uh, know... How many... Do you modify the number of sensors that you use depending on what kind of action you're trying to capture?
3: No, it's always the same number of sensors.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's I, I can very easily imagine a scenario where the the uh, the sensor data collection is being overwhelmed. Uh, but I, it's it's um, it's amazing that a completely wireless system like that actually works well enough to be reliable for uh, commercial use, and obviously it is.
3: Oh, it's way, way better than the can system that they which is that optical system that everybody else uses. We have way less data loss than they do on average with the things they do. Um,
1: For one thing, you don't have occlusion. No. (laughs) Because your sensors, it's where a body part hides... Uh, one of your sensors from a camera that's supposed to be picking it up. Oh, great. And so, so there's no way to triangulate on its location. You get two axes, but not three. Oh, great. So, so your arm so, can make your... Yeah, so your elbows... The elbow goes behind the body and it starts jittering up and down because Oops. the third camera can't see what's happening to it. That's a problem. Things like that. When we had a,
3: an investor about four years ago and, and all the money that they sunk into us, we put into mocap. Um, and uh, we did a lot of research, and it became a no-brainer. We went with this for a reason, and certainly that was one of the many reasons. There's just things happen with the other system that do not happen with this system.
1: So you've got a lot of uh, advantages right out of the gate. This is why your Kickstarter is as small an amount of money as it is. Because well, it's
3: also because we have raised some money, and we didn't want to milk our supporters we're trying to raise the amount of money we need for the very specific task of making the pilot and if we're fortunate enough to go over as I stated earlier we'll just make more stuff with it
0: well we need 17,000 in 18 days yeah that's what we need
1: well that's that's as of today
0: yeah well as of Sorry. as of the recording
4: date I'm hoping I'm... Well, I think we should...
1: Okay. Say say that again, Katie? I
4: think we can do it. I have a good feeling about this. Good.
1: I actually do hey. too. I haven't uh, and I've said it before earlier in the show. I have not seen a steampunk project as well set up as this with as much promise as this one uh, uh, shows. I just Well, I, app-
3: I appreciate that, but I would also like to add to that and say and yet other steampunk things have gotten funded and you know, I won't play sour grapes and name them, but I just cannot believe some of these name-drop videos where there's like, "Oh, we have this person and this person." They haven't done anything. They're telling you what they're gonna do. You have no guarantee they're gonna do it, and they all go, you know, thirty uh, percent or a hundred percent over their stated goal, and it's just amazing to me because
1: they we have a f- few friends with money. You, well, you know, I think it has probably more to do with the social network. Than with the product itself, to be frank, it must. I mean, it's the only explanation I can come up with.
2: But not I think not I entirely. think, like I, I've tracked them, and it seems like they have friends with money. I think <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that's I'm, the only explanation.
1: Here. Well, I think personally that uh, that the Tinker Steampunk web series is one of the more deserving projects I've seen in a very long time. We're very glad to have had all of you with us this evening, and we wish you all the best of luck. Thank, Thank you, for you, Thank you. Absolutely. This has been episode 26 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for August 17th, 2013. Our guests this week have been the creators of an upcoming steampunk web series called tinker the guests have been actress katerina lee waters creator and showrunner michael taglianetti effects coordinator david r hardberger and the show's music supervisor lucid luminos this episode will air again on sunday august 18th 2013 at 4 p.m pacific 7 p.m eastern time The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by renowned science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The part of the engineer was played by fandom dignitary Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was played by Corsair's closet producer Christine Cherry, and the role of the captain was played by science fiction writer Larry Nevin. This program and its contents are copyright 2013 by the Krypton Media Group Incorporated, Stay tuned for more great music on Krypton Radio and tonight's episode of X-1, The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.